All right. We went on vacation. It was great. Two weeks of vacation, and we had a wonderful time. Uh, we were uh, we were at a place that had a lot of iguanas, like squirrels, uh, and uh, and so that's why you see the tan in front of you. This is uh, this is just something that I sprayed on this morning. I've been working on this for two weeks, and uh, no, thank you for for allowing us to go. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes when when we go on vacation, we have a, tel- uh, a tendency to turn on the telly right after sun goes down, and maybe you don't have anything planned. You turn on the telly, you look. The Olympics was on, so we watched a little bit of the, the Olympics on the television. But usually, doesn't your television station just kind of go towards certain things that you that you like, certain shows that are comfortable to you? How many of you like the, the fixer-upper shows? Do you like those shows where they take a dilapidated house and they, and they go in there and they just clean it up and make it all? That's, that's the typical station for the Jarvises. We go to those houses and we go... Look at that. That's, they're never going to fix that up. Oh, the floor is falling. Didn't see that coming. And, and then you're, you're like going, oh, this is, this is amazing what they can do to this. One of our favorite is uh, Joanne, Ch- Chip and Joanne Gaines. Do you like those guys? Chip and Joanne Gaines, and they're actually, it's called Fixer Upper, isn't it? Is that, isn't that the name of theirs? I get them all confused. It's renovate this house and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, it's, uh, it's a craze these days. And uh, Chip and Joanna I particularly like because Joanna will go into a house and she, every time she talks about it, she, she wants to make the home workable so everybody can function, functionable so everybody can, can do what they need to do. She knows, she gets to know the people that are moving into that house, so she wants to get to know what their lives are like, what their day-to-day living is going to be like. And in the end, while her goal is to make it a functionable house, ultimately she'll do a little, little something, a little extra to make it into what she calls a home. And to her, I love it because she's so invested in these people and in these people's uh, welfares in their, in their lives that they're going to be spending in these homes for years to come. She always ends up talking about this, is, this home should be a place of solitude or a place of sef- safety, a place that you can call home. It's more than a, it's more than a house. It's a dwelling place. I love the difference between the difference between homes and houses, right? Every one of us probably has a house that we live in or an apartment that we live in, but it's different when we call it a home. When we were on vacation, we were, we were talking about coming home. There's a, there's a difference about c- coming home to the hotel room. Well, when we get home, we can make pasta and coming home to where our family has grown up where we've experienced life together. There's a difference between the two. It's, it is, a, it's a place of safety, a place our family calls home. And I hope to do a good enough job so that my kids, when they go away, they'll want to come home from wherever they are so that they know there's a place for them no matter where the Lord takes them in their lives. We're about to experience a shift in Exodus we're doing a study in Exodus. We've talked about the golden calf. We talked about what a disappointing kind of start that the children of Israel have, has had at Sinai. They, they've been not really a, a, a family of God. God wants to make them into a family, but they've been kind of disappointing, much like sometimes our kids are disappointing to us. Sometimes uh, Israel has demonstrated that they're going to struggle to be faithful. They've demonstrated that they are going to have rebellious hearts. They've demonstrated the consequences of sin in their own lives. As they made this golden calf, they, remember they poured the gold in and Aaron said, poof, out came a calf. Didn't see that coming. And, and Moses breaks the Ten Commandments because of the debauchery that, that leads them into. It's sin that leads to sin that leads to sin. And they weren't careful. And, and, so, and so God has, has tried to help them understand that he wants to be with them. And he still wants them to be his family. And like a parent, even though he has to discipline them, he assures them that they're still his people and he still desires to be with them. No matter how disappointing they've been to him, he wants to make sure he's, he, they know he wants to be with them. And the way he does this is through tabernacle. How many of you have heard of the word tabernacle before? Heard this word before? Yeah, it's a pretty popular word. We've, we use it in a variety of different circumstances. Tabernacle literally means dwelling place. So God is building a dwelling place among his people. 
Now, you may think to yourself, Craig, we're going to talk about the tabernacle and Mount Sinai and all that old stuff. I'm telling you what, this is the message that blows me away. This whole idea of tabernacle blows every time I study it, I'm blown away. When we had our pre-service uh, meeting with all the folks you see here, we go through a time of prayer and, and sharing in the, in the morning. And as we were talking about it, they said, well, Craig, what are you going to preach on today? And I, I, I pretty much gave them the whole thing there because I'm just excited about this idea of tabernacle. And my hope is that by the end of the service, you will be as well. Look at Exodus 25. This is where the idea starts. In Exodus 25, starting in verse 1. 25, by the way, this takes up a, a, a great deal of time in the book of Exodus. We're going actually from 25 all the way to 36 today. There's a huge chunk of scripture given to this idea of tabernacle. It starts in 25, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they will take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves in him, you shall receive a contribution for me. And then you skip down to verse 8. Why do they need to give a contribution? Because in verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary. Church, will you just read these next few words with me? That I may dwell in their midst. Now you can read over that pretty quickly because verse 8 is pretty short. Let them make a, a tabernacle for me, a dwelling place. That's where the word tabernacle means. Make a dwelling place for me that I may dwell in their midst. God wants to be in their space. So what does he do? He knows that they're going to fail. He knows that they're going to be a disappointment. He knows they're going to struggle with rebellion. He knows that they're going to sin and they're going to feel every time like they do, like they're far away from him. So he needs to build a place, a dwelling place, where they can be assured no matter how far they fall, they will always have a way to get back to him. He doesn't leave them. He will never leave them. And he builds a tabernacle that he may dwell in their midst. God wants to be in their space. His desire is to be with them. He doesn't bring them to where he is. It's the other way around. Have you ever wondered, like, why when you decide to follow Jesus, why doesn't he just take you there? You know, why go through the whole mundane, painful process of life after that where you are going to be a disappointment to God you are going to drop the ball. You're going to let this tongue say stuff that you're going to have to apologize for later. You're going to struggle with faithfulness. You're going to, why go through all of that? Why doesn't God just take us to be with him? I mean, that's what's going to happen anyway. It's interesting to me that in Scripture, God is constantly reminding us that he wants to be with us in the space of our lives, in the spaces that we have in our lives. God wants to be in their space, and God wants to be in our space. Moses has already said, I'm not going to go anywhere unless you go with us. And now God is saying one, one better. I'll do, I'm going to do one better. I'm not just going to build a cottage that I can visit once in a while. I'm going to build a home where I can stay, a dwelling place. God doesn't just visit the tabernacle. This is his house. Isn't that crazy? This is the place God is building. It's his fixer-upper, but he's starting from scratch. He's literally getting all of this, these contributions, and he's saying, let's, let's build a house so that I can live with you. When you wanted to visit God, he was only a stone's throw away. You literally could walk out of your tent, take a few steps, and you're at God's house. You want to see God? Just go see him. He's right over there. He's, at, he's home. He's always home. You can go see him. This was life for the, for the children of Israel. Isn't that crazy? They could leave their tent and they could, they, their home and they could go to God's home whenever they wanted to. Everything to build God's a home has to come from them. Materials, construction, all of this had to be from scratch. In fact, there's a dozen chapters after this on stuff that God wants in his house. Where did people get all this stuff? Where did the Israelites, they were slaves. Where did they get all this stuff to make God his furniture and things like that? Where did they get it from? This is all Egyptian material. This is all the stuff they took with them when they left Egypt. E the Egyptians gave them pretty much gifts so that they would <laughs> go away and the plagues would stop. This is all that. And what did they already use their stuff for so far? They used it to build a golden calf. What they had taken from the Egyptians 
to build a golden calf. Now they take from the Egyptians and they build a house for God, a home where God would live. This blows me away. Taking the things from the kingdom of darkness and putting them into the purposes of God. All their possessions were about to be redeemed to build God a home. Verse 3. What kind of contribution should they bring? Well, it says in verse 3, this is a contribution you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Pretty expensive stuff. Blue and purple, scarlet yarns, fine twine, twine, uh, twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for anointing oil, and for fragrance incense, onyx stones, stones for setting for the ephod, for the breast please. That's what the, the, the high priest wore. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Now, before we go any further, I want you to get this one word. This was a contribution. Do you catch that word, contribution? This was not something that they were forced to do. Let each person bring to me a contribution. All of these things were donated. The people knew this was the place where God would be with them. We're building God a house. So let's take up an offering and bring to God what, what, what we what we. Want so that we can make the home that he wants to have. I, I love this because it just constantly reminds me of Joanna Gaines. I know it's a terrible illustration, but it just reminds me because, because God is saying, I want a house, and let's see how much you want me to have a house with you, a home with you. And so they take up a contribution. And they were so desperate for it that they gave from their hearts. If you skip up to Exodus 35 and verse 29, it says, All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as, what does it say there? Oh, we don't have it up there. Uh, Exodus 35, 29. Do I not have that one up there? There it is, yes. Uh, all, all of the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as what, church? A free will offering. Do you know what you're supposed to see here? This is a free will offering. In other words, the people were so desperate. They were so in love with the idea of making God a house, a home, that they just kept bringing stuff. They just brought stuff after stuff after. And they had been through the whole golden calf experience, so they knew they didn't want to use it for that kind of thing anymore. Now they have a chance to use it for God. And they just keep bringing it. This is not coerced. This is free will an evidence of their joy that God was going to build a house, a home among them. I want you to know, at one point in this whole process, if you go to the very end of this process, in Exodus 36, Moses and Aaron say, whoa, 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 you're bringing too much stuff. Stop bringing all of this stuff. We got too much. Can you believe that? They brought so much stuff that they told them to stop. Don't believe me? Look in Exodus 36, verse 3. As they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel brought for doing the work on the sanctuary, they still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of tax, task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, Moses, we need a minute, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and the word was proclaimed through the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. How does that come across to you? Now, these have just been rebels. These have just been people that said, God, we, we don't even want to go near the mountain that God's at. It's a shaky, crazy, scary thing. In the Hebrew, it says their, their feet were moving back and forth in their shoes. They're scared to death of this God. Now, though, God has brought them through the discipline process. He's reassuring them. He says, listen, I will go with you. And they say, then, we're so excited about this, we'll just keep bringing stuff, bringing stuff, bringing stuff. Until the leadership finally had to say, sorry, guys, we've got to cut you off. Too much. John, have you heard of churches doing this? <laughs> I love it. It's interesting how our stuff becomes more important to us than experiencing the presence of God. 
Jesus knew this. He said it's hard to serve two masters. You can serve God or you can serve money. It's got to be one of the two. It's an interesting thing how stuff has a, a way of capturing our hearts. That's why Jesus said where your heart is is where your treasure, where your treasure is is where your heart will be also. Stuff can capture us or it can make us, it can reveal to us how important God is to us. It's interesting how our stuff often becomes more important. There's a story of a woman who unexpectedly received a large inheritance. She immediately gave a tenth of it to the church. When she died, they found her diary. And in it, apparently, in her diary, they read about the time she gave this check to the church. And she wrote in there, quick, quick, before my heart gets hard. (laughs) You ever notice how God doesn't just redeem us, but he allows our stuff to be redeemed as well? All the stuff that we're using here this morning is being redeemed for God's glory. In your home, the stuff that you have is redeemed for God's glory. I mean, it should be. We should be in a process of redeeming all that God gives us. This iPad hopefully is redeemed for God's glory. Use it to preach God's word. All the stuff that God gives you has the potential of being used for God's glory. And it wasn't just stuff that God is redeeming. Exodus 35, one chapter uh, before you get to the end of all of this, Exodus 35 verse 10 says, let every skilled craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. God not only is revealing stuff, he's revealing talent as well. Time as well. He's redeeming all of the people. What they own and who they are. In fact, this is going to kind of blow you away. Did you know that there are two people highlighted for the time and talent and work they put in on the, temp- on the tabernacle. Did you know that? It wasn't Chip and Joanna. Two, two different people. I'll, I'll show you about these because these two people are pulled out of the crowd and, they, and God says, I need these two people because they're talented and because they have, they, have, they have an attention to detail and because they are able to teach others. Listen to this. Exodus 35, verse 30. Moses said to all the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill and intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stone for the setting, and carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and, here's the other one, Aholiab, the son of whatever his name is, Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them, these two guys, with skill to do every sort of work done by engravers or designers or by embroiders in purple, blue, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver and by any sort of workman skilled uh, or skilled designer. These two guys were pointed out by, God says, I want these guys to work on my home. And their names have been in in, in the annals of Hebrew history ever since. God doesn't just want to redeem your stuff. He wants to redeem your time and your talent. The reason you do what you do well is because God has given you the ability to do it well. And he wants you to use it for his glory. Bezalel and Aholiab were doing, and not only were they doing, skilled to do it, they were also skilled to teach others to do it also. I love how this is such a great picture to us of what it means to serve the Lord. There were possibly many qualified workers, but these guys, these guys were the best. They were, they were skilled and they, they honed their skill so that what they did was extremely well done. And they were skilled so that they could teach others. So that their, by, by using their gifts, God would enjoy a beautiful home, but others would be able to use their gifts by learning from the best. Or learning from these guys that, that God had blessed. Listen, in the church it's the same thing. Let them build for me a sanctuary that I would dwell, dwell in their midst. We, we, are, we are called to serve in the church, to serve God's people, so that we can use our gifts to bless God and teach others. It's an amazing concept. My question here is simply this. Why does God need a home at all? He was fine where he was, wasn't he? 
Does he really need humans to put together a tent? He literally is asking them for a very large tent in a very barren desert. Why? Why does he need a tabernacle at all? Isn't heaven good enough for him? Like I said, a dozen chapters after this tell us about what God wants in his house. And it's everything. Furniture, construction, plans, dimensions, how the house would be used, who would be invited to the house, what colors went on the wall. This is a fixer-upper episode. He is telling them, this is exactly the home that I want you to build. Why do you think furniture takes up so much time in in these 12 chapters? Because God is building not a cottage to visit, but a home to live in. One of these pieces that he actually gets the folks there to build was called the table of the presence. The table of the presence. And you know what went on top of the table of the presence? You already know this. It was called the bread of the presence. This bread was to remind them that God is with them all the time. The candlestick, that candlestick that you see the Jews, there was one of those in the temple, always lit to remind them that God is with them. And the placement, the placement, what do you know from real estate? Three words, what is it? When you sell your property, it's going to be worth a lot because everything depends on location, location, location. Do you know where God wanted this location to be? I had a picture of this and I forgot to put it on here. Do you know where the the picture of this, uh, which I should have like literally right here, but I forgot to put it on. Do you know where God's tent, where God's home would be? Right in the middle of all the other homes. Literally all the tribes were around the outside and God's house was in the middle. Location, location, location. Why does God create a home among his people? Exodus 29, 46. It's all over the place. Here's another passage. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. There you have it. The whole reason God wants a dwelling place, a home, is so his people can be reminded that he is with them. He is their Lord. He is their God. And he's right in the middle of the tent. Listen. I know for us this is kind of weird because we don't live in this kind of thing, but if you had a tent and you're at the, at the bottom of Sinai and you saw God's house being built, it'd be right in the middle and you could open the flap of your tent and you could point for your children or you could look out yourself and you could see in the middle of the tent, in the middle of the, 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 the encampment, you could point out there and you could say, look, look kids, God is building his house right there, right in the middle of us and we can go see him whenever we want to. That's crazy, right? God is moving. (laughs) He's going to be in a home in the middle of his people. That they will know that I am the Lord and that I am dwelling among them. In every way, he wants them to be reminded of this. If you were to go to the temple, you would smell oil. This oil would be be burned to remind them that your, your, your senses would pick up God is here. Animal skins and wood would be used so that they could feel cool when they went to, see, to, to, to visit God's house. Blue and purple yarn, fine linen, so that they could see, so that they could experience by seeing. You've you, you got the feeling of the cool, you've got the smell, you've got the, you've got the sight, the songs that they would sing, and the, and the dying animals as they cut the throats of the animals, and the gurgle, the death gurgle would remind you, sin is what's being cleansed here so that you can have God in your presence. They would hear this as they brought their children and the sacrifice that they would take. When you made a sacrifice, you'd take a piece of that home, you'd cook it with your family, and you would taste that God, that God is with you. In every way, God is, God is impacting their senses through, through what they hear, through what they see, through what they taste, through what they, they feel, through what they smell. In every way, God is saying, when you come to my house, in every way, I'm going to try and remind you, I'm here. I'm right here. Unlike we would do, God begins with furniture. Do you know what the main piece of furniture God builds the house around? This is the crazy thing. Because when you buy a house, you kind of look at the house, and I don't know what you look for first in, in a house. What's important to you, I remember when we moved into our house, it was the layout because it was wide open. We could have a lot of people in, and we knew that we loved having people over. And so we looked at that, and we said, yeah, winter, this is, this is what we're looking for. 
And God built his house among his people. He built it around one piece of furniture. Do you know what that one piece of furniture was? What was it? Ark of the Covenant. God says, here's what I want you to do. Put the ark here and build around it. The Ark of the Covenant held the, the, the staff of Aaron that budded. It held the, the, the tablets that Moses smashed. Those were put into there. It had some manna, some, some, a jar of manna was put into there. As a reminder to them of, of these, it was, like a, it was like a chest of a reminder to them of how good it God had been to them. And if you've ever watched Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you watch this, Indiana Jones, da-da-da-da, da-da-da, one of my favorite movies of all time, right? Pretty accurate. On top, you had, you had a seat that was covered by angels with their outstretched ring, wings, and that seat was actually a throne. I don't know if you know that. It's a throne, L- like, like you would have a throne where the king sat. This would be the Ark, Ark of the Covenant. The throne goes on top, covered by the angels' wings, and that seat had a name. Do you know what that seat was called? It was called the mercy seat. And that once a year, every time the high priest would go behind the curtain where that piece of furniture was that nobody got to see except him once a year, he would pour blood over the mercy seat. And unlike a throne that we would have where we sit a king on the throne, this throne was unoccupied with human eyes. The glory of the Lord dwelt there in some way, and we don't know how. But the smoke was there and the fire was there above the tabernacle so that you could know God's still with us, God's still with us. But if you went into that holy of holies, you would get to see a piece of the glory of the Lord. I can't explain it. I don't know what it looked like. But there's no images made of God. So they don't put an image on that throne. Because our hearts are led to idol worship so quickly. So no, 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 false, no images of God were to be made. It's in the top ten. Top ten commandments. No images. An empty seat to be reminded that God was among them. God wanted to be in their space, and he wanted them to know it. And church, nothing has changed. God wanted to be in their space, and he wanted them to know it, to taste it, to smell it, to see it, to feel it. He wanted them to experience it, and nothing has changed. If I were to ask you, where is God today? What would, where, where would you say? Yeah. A lot of people, if I were to start out the message and say, where is God today? A lot of people would just kind of go, like, up there? <laughs> like, he's, he's up there, right? Isn't that where God is? That is not where God is. <laughs> God is not. He, we have a tendency to point and, and to say, well, I think God is out there or God is up there or, or something. But if you were to look at Matthew 18, 20, you would be reminded exactly where God is. It says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus says, what does he say, church? There I am among them. Where is God today? He's right here. He's right here. Jesus wants to be with us. Jesus Jesus is desperate to be with you. His name reminds us he wants to be with us. What is Jesus' name? Flashback to Christmas. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means... God with us. God loves to be with us. God wants to be with us. And he wants us to remember this regularly. Tabernacle literally means God's dwelling. And what's true in the Old Testament about God is true in the New Testament about God is true today. God's desire is to be with us. God wants us to remember this regularly. God wants to be in our space. You remember what he said to the disciples when he went back to heaven? He died, he rose from the dead, and then he went back to heaven. The last thing he said to them is in Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. This is where he says, go into all the world. Do you remember this? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, church, would you say this with with me? I am with you always to to the end of the age. Where is God today? He is with us always until the age ends. And then... He is with us for the the rest of time. Jesus died so that we could have the presence of God with us constantly. Without him going to heaven, he couldn't send the Holy Spirit. And now with him going to heaven, ascending into heaven, 
God is with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. God's plan has always been to be with us. Did you know that? Now, this is where this whole thing, that's all introduction. This is the main point. God's plan has always been to be with us. Always. Do you know heaven is a result of the fall? The fact that we die and go to heaven is a problem of sin. We shouldn't die. We die because sin lives in the world, lives in us, separates us from God. And when we die, we go immediately into the presence of God. That's not the way that it was intended to be. God was always intending to be with us, not the other way around. I know you might have to buckle up for that statement because heaven is a result of the fall is kind of a weird thing to say, but it's absolutely true. Think of it. In the garden, where was God? God came to walk with them in the garden in the cool of the day. Remember that? In the tabernacle, God comes to be with his people. In the person of Jesus Christ, God comes to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God says to Thomas, have I been with you so long? You say, show me the Father. Yo, dude, you're looking at it. God with us means Jesus came to be with us. When Jesus ascended into heaven and gave us the Holy Spirit, that's God with us. God now, instead of Jesus just being, because <coughs> Jesus is just one person. So Jesus would be in this room with us, which would be cool, but then he wouldn't be at Bartlett Church. And he wouldn't be at the church up the road. He'd just be with us. He'd have to go from our church to another church and visit all these different churches. Jesus said to his disciples, it's for your benefit that I go away. Because if I go away, I can send the Holy Spirit and then I can be in every church every single Sunday. I can be with you always, even to the end of the age. His intention has always been to be with us at all times. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory is the one only, the son from the father full of grace and truth. God dwelt among us, the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 2 verse 22. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Do you understand? We are being built into a dwelling place of, for God because the spirit lives in us. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am among them. You ever wonder why, like I could go into the, into the kitchen and Renee could be getting communion together and I could go up to Renee and say, Renee, I'm starving. I need something to eat. You need something to eat. She says, all I got is these crummy communion crackers. And I said, just give me a handful of those and I can scarf them in the kitchen. And, it, and she'd be like, well, Craig, you should have stopped and got a McMuffin or something on the way to church, something else. But he's eating all the communion crackers. But it would, it would kind of be a weird thing. But it wouldn't be like a really weird thing, right? It'd just be kind of like a weird thing. But once our communion is brought out, <coughs> excuse me, and set in front of our church, if I were to go over there and scarf on the communion, uh, on the communion uh, uh, wafers at that point, you'd probably be going, Craig, that just doesn't look right. Do you want to know why? There's something different about when the church gathers. There's something different. The cracker, the juice doesn't change. There's no cellular change. It takes no supernatural, weird, mystical thing going on. But when the presence of God is among us, when we are gathered in his name, that communion cup becomes something more than just a piece of bread and a cup of juice. It becomes a representation of what makes our lives function. It becomes a representation of why we can be friends with God. It becomes a representation of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ that he gave so that we could be right with God. There's so much theology in all of this that I, I don't have the time to, to cover it all. But what I love most about it is exactly what I've already said to you. God's desire is to be among us. Did you know in the end times that's exactly how it's going to be? How many of you think that when you die, you go to heaven and that's the end of the story? That's like, if the, if the book has 12 chapters, that's like the 11th chapter. The 12th chapter, the last chapter, is the fact that God finally gets to be with us for all eternity. We don't go to be with him. He comes to us. If you've never heard that before, you should read the last chapter of the book of the Bible. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, Then I saw a, large, uh, a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, hear it now. Behold, the dwelling place of God is what, church? Is it up there? It's up there. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with, uh, with men, with women. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Church, we don't go to be with him. He constantly comes to be with us. Why? Because he wants a home. He wants your space as his home. Now, doesn't that blow you away? It's so interesting to me that most Christians think that The whole story is about living a good life here so that I can go to be with Jesus someday. Jesus is already here in the person of the Holy Spirit. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm already there. He's here. And like the tabernacle is portable, so are you. You, You're going to walk out this door and you're going to go to your home. But the Lord goes with you wherever you go. That's why Jesus said, and lo, I am with you. Always, even until the end of the age. We need this today as a reminder constantly more than ever. God wants to be in our space, church. 2 Corinthians 6.16. It's all over scripture if you look for it. 2 Corinthians 6.16. What agreement has a temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling. What does it say, church? I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's talking about us, the church. God will make his dwelling among us. God will walk with us. You take God where you go. (laughs) God is with you. God wants to be with you. Just like the tabernacle, we are portable. That's why we say, go, grow, and overcome. Because when you go, you take the presence of God with you. This is the presence of God, and this is what makes the difference. Listen, how different do people behave when they have the presence of an individual with them? Let me give you a scenario. When the teacher is in the classroom versus when the teacher is not in the classroom, how do the children behave? Differently, right? When you're working at work with the employees, and the day the boss shows up, How do employees behave? Differently or the same? Differently. I worked at a place called Canadian Tire, and we had a manager, and he was kind of, he was a lot of fun to be around. His name was Bob. We had a great time with Bob. He was just like one of us. But once in a while, the owner would show up. Of that franchise, he would show up. And on that day, man, we were dusting and cleaning and doing all kinds of, we're going to make sure everything's pressed. Everything needs to be pressed. The boss is going to be there. When you know the presence of somebody is in among you, you have a tendency to behave a little differently. When you know there's a cop parked around the corner, you might hit the gas or, the, or you might hit the brake, right? I don't want to know how fast my car goes from 100 or one from 60. I want to know how fast it goes from 100 to, to, to 55. That's what I want to know. God is with you, church. And let me tell you, it's not to scare us into submission. It's to remind us we are free. It's to remind us of who we are. This whole thing is exegeted. It's it's explained. This whole experience is explained in 2 Corinthians 3.15. Paul the apostle writes to the church at Corinth, and he explains all of this, much like what I'm doing today. He explains all of what's going on at Sinai. In verse 16, he says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what, church? If you take the spirit of God wherever you go, if he lives in here, if he lives in your life, you should know you know freedom. Freedom! It's not to scare us into submission. It's to remind us that we are free. We are not slaves to sin. If you go out of here and you think to yourself, Craig, I can't possibly be better, you do not know what the presence of God can do in your life. 
If you go out of here and you're thinking to yourself, I'm so depressed, I can't overcome. I understand there's some chemical things in the brain and all of that comes, comes into play. And, and sometimes we, we, we need to get some professional help. I'm not downplaying any of that. I'm just encouraging you to be re reminded constantly that whatever you struggle with, whether, whether it's, it's, it's the idea that I can't overcome my sin or I've just got to get God to adjust to me or, 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 or I'm, I'm, I'm sad and I can't get over, I think for us we just need to be reminded that God is with us wherever we go. God wants to be with you. And he's done everything in his power to make us understand that. Even sending his own son. God with us is the crescendo of Scripture. In the New Testament, it's in the person of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. The incarnation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the crescendo of the New Testament. And it's also the crescendo of the Old Testament. When they plopped Jesus a home in the middle of all of their homes, it was so that they could be reminded God was among them. And he wanted to be there. So what? Number one, God wants to make your home, your house, your heart, his home. No longer was God on the scary mountain. No longer was he outside in the tent. Now he wanted to be in the middle of their lives. God wants to be in their space and God wants to be in our space. And he doesn't want to just use you as a cottage. He doesn't want to just come and visit your life once in a while and say, hey, I'm here, let's, uh, let's clean this up, let's uh, fix this area over here, let's open this closet, see what's in here. He doesn't want to just visit once in a while. He wants to make your heart his home. Be with you always. It's always been his plan. From the Garden of Eden to the tabernacle to tabernacling with us through Jesus Christ to the Holy Spirit to all eternity God's plan was to be with us. When the veil was torn in the temple, maybe it wasn't so much of God inviting us into his house. Maybe this was, maybe this was like God saying, okay, I'm tearing away the barriers so that I can, I can expand my home to include your life and your life and your life. Our life is meant to be filled with his presence now and always. You take Christ with you wherever you go. And if you'd like to do that and you never have, you should ask him. Because he is willing to make any heart his home. There's no prerequisites. Just a humble enough heart to ask. So ask. And God will make your heart his home too. Number two, God can redeem your space if you let him. All those items used for evil in Egypt was now being used for God's home building project done by Oliab and Fafafazel, whatever his name was. Not Chip and Joanna, but these two amazing, amazing people. God redeemed the stuff they had, the time they had, the talents they had. Whatever their lives were previously now could be used for God. And they would all put their hands to the good work, and they would make a difference. They would, they would build a home for God. So my question is, how have you allowed God to redeem your stuff? How have you allowed him to redeem your time? How have you allowed him to redeem your talents? Have you? Because if you will, God can use all of those things so that you can be a blessing to others and a blessing to him. Which brings us to number three. God can use your life spaces to bless others. Responsibility to build this tabernacle was given to skilled workers who had sharpened their abilities over time. They had to be able to do the work, they had to be known for being able to do the work, and they had to be excited about teaching others how to do the work. And this is exactly what we're meant to do in the church. Did you know that? <clears throat> 2 Timothy 2.2. It's an easy one to remember, just remember 2.2.2. 2, 2. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2. you know what it says? You then, my child, verse 1, be strengthened in the grace of Jesus Christ. Verse 2, this is 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The reason we have a church here is because other people have shoulders on which we stand. And they have taught us, and we have learned. And our job now is to teach others so that we can pass on these blessings to others. Your life is meant to be a, a tool for God to use so that you can teach others also. 
What's the point of all of this? <clears throat> well, how many of you have heard of Chip and Joanna before today? You've heard of Chip and Joanna before today? Most of you, right? How many of you have heard of Ohaliab and Bazalel before today? Any of you? Yeah, maybe, maybe a few. God knew them. God knew them by name. And he asked for them. These two guys, I'd like to work on my house. <laughs> you may never know the, in the annals of history all of the steady, faithful lives that has passed on before you. But God knows it. He records it. And he blesses them for it. You ever think to yourself how many faithful people have walked this planet and we've never known about before? Hebrews 6.10 reminds me, this is actually one of my favorite verses. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Do you love it? God is not unjust to overlook the service that you give to him. As the tabernacle was portable, so is our lives. We do not build a house for God to dwell where we go to meet God. We have this place called Fountain View, but tomorrow we have, may have a different place. The thing that makes this a place where God, we know God is, is because we're here. You're here, and you're here, and you're here, and you're here, and you're here. That means where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. It could be here, it could be my house, it could be a backyard, it could be the picnic area that we use. When we gather together, it's a reminder God is with us. But we don't go to a place... You don't have to go on a pilgrimage to some basilica somewhere in order to have an experience with God. God goes with you when you go. You're portable just like the tabernacle. And when we go, God goes with us. God wants you to take the presence of God out there. And let me tell you, church, if there's ever a time this world needs to be reminded that God is here still at work, it's now. It is so dark today. And it's becoming darker by the moment. And it's up to us to be the presence of God in the darkness. You may think to yourself, I'm not making much of a difference. Ah-ha-ha! Don't be fooled. You are. Oh, yes, you are. Jesus said, when I light a candle, it brightens up more than you know. I never stick a, what do you call those things, a table, sh a, a shade I never stick a shade over. I want, when I light a candle, I want it to brighten the whole room. And if Christ lives in you, you are meant to be a, a bright light in the dark world. And you can do more than you think. This idea of tabernacle, God wants to be with us, God is with us, blows me away. You may think to yourself, well, Craig, you're a preacher, so basically you, you basically do your thing on Sunday. This is where you, where you share the presence of God in you with others. This is how it's done. Uh, not even I qualify in that range. You may not know this, but I drive Uber on the side. I used to do it a while ago. I'm doing it again. One of the reasons that I decided to do it and that I kind of wanted to get back into it is because I have an incredible opportunity to talk to people that are literally captive in my back seat. I, and I can talk to them, and you would be amazed at what people share with somebody they don't even know. And we, I've gotten into some of the most amazing conversations in my car. Uh, I don't wear a collar. I don't tell them I'm, pre I'm a preacher. I don't, like, my hair might be a giveaway, but that's about it. <laughs> they sit in my back seat, and they share all kinds of stuff with me. And I've gotten into amazing conversations. July 4th was one of my... One of the ones that will stand out in my mind, I shared this with my family. I picked up a guy. He was drinking with his buddies. Big guy. Probably round, right around my age, a little bit younger. Got in my car, started sharing with me. Not totally drunk. He, he was there. I mean, he was, we were functionable here. He started talking to me. He said, it's been just a horrific day. I said, why? What's, what's going on, man? He said, I've been with my buddies and all we talk about all the friends that didn't make it back from Afghanistan. And nobody cares. Nobody cares. All these people around here are just doing their own thing. They think they got the day off. Nobody cares. 
So I got to talk. I listened. I listened. And then when I dropped him off, and he's, he's crying, big guy, big guy, started crying in my back seat. I just listened. I tried to encourage him, listen. As he got ready to get out of the car, I turned around. I stopped the car. I turned around. I looked him in the eye, and I said, listen, I just want to tell you, buddy, I, his name. I, I found out his name. I wanted to tell you. I called him my name. And I said, listen, I just want to tell you, I appreciate the service that you've put in for our country. It's because of you that we enjoy the freedoms that we have, and you should know that. And if people don't tell you that, I'm telling you right now. And he sat in my car for another 10 minutes and just started talking about how his life had fallen apart since he got back from Afghanistan. We had a great conversation. He got out of my car. I told him I'd pray for him when he got out of my car. He thanked me. Listen, you'll never know how your life can take the presence of God into somebody else's life. But if you're conscientious of it, you'll be surprised how often you can do it. You'd be surprised at the, the off-handed opportunities that God gives you to share with somebody else that life is more than what they bring home every week in a paycheck. Life is more than their boyfriend or their girlfriend. Life is more than worrying about the politics of our day from people who don't care about anything but their own jobs. Life is more than what they perceive with their eyes. You will have an opportunity to do that. I don't know where God gives you an opportunity, but church, you are the portable tabernacle presence of God wherever you go. And so I'd encourage you, God dwells among us because you go out there. You take his presence into the darkness. So take it boldly and light up the dark. Make a difference in somebody else's life. And you may think, I've done nothing. You never know. <laughs> you never know. You may have 10 minutes with them in a car, and they may get out, and you may never see them again, but you never know what your love and your encouragement can do in their lives. Take the presence of God with you because that's what we're meant to do. We are the dwelling place of God. Let's pray. Father, I love this, this constant reminder that you give us that you love to be with us. It blows me away, it, just the whole concept that from the beginning of time is exactly how the end of time will be. You created us so that you could dwell among us. And you show us constantly in Scripture, from the garden when you walked with Adam and Eve, to the tabernacle when you built a home among the midst of your people, right in the middle of them, to Jesus throwing him in the middle of us so that we could touch him so we could hear, we could smell him and be reminded that you love to be among us. And when Jesus went back to heaven, Father, you reminded us that you are still among us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now you reside in our hearts, in our lives, and we take you with us wherever we go. Light us up. Light us up so we may make a difference in this dark world. Help us never to buy the lie that darkness is greater than light. Remind us constantly, Father, that you can move mountains and you can do wonders through us, through our lives. No matter what age we are, how long we've been a follower of Jesus Christ, you call us to use us. So use us and let us be willing to be used. Thank you for this reminder this morning through Tabernacle. And I thank you for your word that reminds us of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We finish with